You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. We're continuing on the series called Piercing the Darkness. It's based on the book of Romans. And uh, instead of going verse by verse, we're going by subject. What are the topics that uh, Romans cover? Now, the last five weeks I did Romans chapter one and I just happened to do verse by verse because there were some really significant topics in that section. So we're going to make a huge leap to Romans chapter 15. I am not skipping over all of that part of Romans. I'm just going to a different subject matter and we'll be backing it up and covering other subjects. So today's topic is going to be on finding God's will. As if it's been lost and you got to find it. No, just kidding. Finding, how do I know God's will? How can I discern it? And that's what this passage reveals in Paul's life about how he uh, went about discovering what God wanted him to do. So would everybody stand for the reading of the word, Romans 15. Now it is Romans uh, 15, 22 to 33. So it's a little longer than I normally would have us read, but I'm going to ask you to hang in there and read it all with me today. So let's begin. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there while I have enjoyed your company for a while." Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings." So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, Lord, I pray that as we study the word that we'll see the principles that whereby your apostles made decisions and choices. I pray that we can see that God's word is relevant to us today. It's not something that merely reveals to us what happened historically, but it reveals the principles that no matter when we live, those principles apply. So open our hearts, open our minds in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you and be seated. So as I said, we're looking at a passage of, of Romans and 
it's one of those passages you just think, oh, this is the, the narrative story time where Paul's just kind of talking about some of the nuts and bolts in life. He includes it in this letter. I'm not sure what it has to do with us, but it's included. Well, what it does is it actually shows us the principles whereby he was making decisions and choices. Now, what I want to make sure I, I, I understand or lay out for you today, when we're talking about understanding God's will in this perspective, we under, I want you to know that we're going to see the principles whereby he was using in this particular context. In life, you will find this. Certain principles have more relevance on the situation you have in life than at other times. You might be in another context. Those principles are still true, but they may not be as applicable in that context, and you might draw on another set of principles. So we find ourselves in life leaning into various principles more than others just based on what's unfolding in our life. Here, Paul is a, is a minister, okay? And he's faced with making decisions about where to go because there are more needs than he has time. There are more people wanting him to come and minister than he has resources. Paul is a human being. He is confined by space and time. If he's here, he can't be over there. If he's over there, he can't be here. And so how do you prioritize when life has so many demands and you're one person and you have limited resources. Has any everybody ever been that before? You're like, you know, if it, it would be easy if there was just a right and a wrong choice. But what do I do when there's so many good options, but I can't, I can't do it all? How do I prioritize? What's the process? How does God's word help me to make those choices? So that's what we're going to look at. So the topic is, uh, one of the topics that's consistent among followers of Christ is this topic of God's will. You don't have to be a Christian very long before people start using that phrase. I wonder what God's will is. And what do we mean by saying that? Well, what we're saying is this, what does God want me to do? Like I said, it's easy when there's a wrong and they're right and you go, well, that's wrong Help me to do that. And that leaves only the right choice. But many times we often are presented with a plethora of options. And then we get into this game of, well, a list of pros and a list of cons. That just doesn't sound very, I mean, that's okay to do that. But how many know that doesn't sound spiritual? Okay, you can do that and it might work, but you're just kind of like, hey, there's a spiritual element here. Because sometimes God calls us to make tough decisions and go to tough places. And do tough things. If you listed all the cons, you would never go there. Hey, there's a lot of missionaries. If they did the pros and the cons, they would have never gone to the nation that they're in today. So sometimes that's not the best method to make a choice. So you're like, okay, so how does God's word help me? Well, we're going to look at that a little further. But what makes it even more difficult is when there's not that obvious choice. Boy, that's when it gets really hard. And then you're like, I hope I'm doing what's right. I hope I'm doing what God wants me to do. And then it's even further complicated if there are dark times happening in your life. If you haven't recognized this, chaos, difficulty, frustration, setbacks in life have a way of messing with your thought processes. And you're like, what should have been easy is really complicated right now because I have all these setbacks in life or maybe there's some dark times that are happening in your life and it's just you're just having a, a difficulty just getting what I call some cognitive uh, thinking going. It's just dissonance and it's, you're, you're trying to focus but everything unfolding is making it hard. 
Paul was in. I mean, Paul was there. Uh, there was, it was definitely a dark day in the Roman Empire. He saw, we talked about this over the last few weeks, he's been traveling Rome for 10 years, and what he sees is not based on what people tell him. It's what he's observed. He's gone to their major cities. He's watched what Roman culture has become and the trends and what the, what the momentum is, and he sees not just darkness on the horizon, it has arrived. And Paul, I think, is being prophetic in some ways. He had no idea how bad it was going to get. He knew it was going to get bad, but it got way worse than I think anybody could even possibly imagine. And so here's Paul now. Literally, the, the Christian world is saying, we need you. And somebody else is, yeah, but we need you. And somebody else, but we need you. And Paul's like, you know, the airplane hasn't been invented yet. Uh, I can't get to all these people and I can't get to all these places. How do I decide what I'm going to do and where I'm going to go and how I'm going to do it? So the Apostle Paul was no different than the rest of us. When writing the book of Romans, he faced these difficult decisions. Here's the thing. No matter what he decided, there were going to be needs and expectations unmet. Can I just say, that's not why you go into the ministry to be told you got limited resources and to be told if you meet this group, then you can't help that group. But if you help that group, you can't help that group. And as a, as a minister, you go, don't put me in that spot. I want both. And you're going, well, but sometimes you're faced with limited time, limited resource. If you reach this group, there's not enough time and resource here. But if you do here, then it's not over here. And it's not a position you envy. You're like, no, I want it all. And you have to make tough calls, tough choices. That's where Paul was in his life. So how, how do you navigate that difficult element that can sometimes get into our lives and we're like, boy, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna be transparent with you. It's easy when God just gives you one choice. I'm so appreciative when he does that. When my wife and I got married, um, I sent out 50 resumes when I was graduating. Nobody called. You know, we were, we were already living on a limited budget, and then I spent all this money to send out 50 resumes, and the return was zero. You know, and you're like, well, that's, that's no good. And then one day I got a random phone call. A friend had talked to this guy and said, hey, this kid's graduating college, and you might want to talk to him if you're looking for a position in your youth. And so he called. We talked on the phone. And after extended phone calls, he said, we want you to come to the church. We go to the church. Things seemed to go well for us while we were there. And I remember, you know, my wife and I, we went back to where they'd put us up. We're in the room. And she goes, wow, this seems to be like really going well. I said, yeah, I think it's going well. She goes, what are you going to do, what are you going to do if they offer you a position? <laughs> Take it. I mean, you know, when you only got one choice, it just might be God's will. And uh, yeah, it was a good, good, we offered the job. That was our first ministry post and it was a good situation. Great church, great. Now I got to tell you, I would have never chose the town, but when it was the only option, hey man, it was the new Jerusalem, you know, great town, great people, great church, you know, and you know, those, those are the options that I, I, it's very clear to me what I'm to do. And 
But sometimes in life, that's not how it unfolds. There's, oh man, I got to consider this and that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay out some principles. And then at the very end, I have put together a diagram to kind of pull all these points together. So when you think I'm done, I'm not. Okay. And uh, so I'm just kind of giving you a heads up. I'm going to take the points and then I'm going to put it in a, and just to show you kind of visually how this works. Now, again, I want you to understand this is not the only way to determine God's will. This is how Paul determined God's will in the context that he was in and the decisions that he was facing. Does everybody understand that? Okay. There are other times in his life when he faced other decisions and you see him pulling on other scriptural principles. Okay, He didn't dismiss these. It's just that they wouldn't have been relevant to those decisions. So I say that. That's why it's important to have a, a broad understanding of the scriptures so that you know the principles you need to draw on and the ones that may not be relevant for that moment. They might have application later in life. Okay, so here we go. Point number one, say it out loud. God's providential. Okay, that was a new word for some of you. Let's try it again. God's, God's providential control. What does that mean? Boy, you talk about a theological word today. Here we go. It means this. This is what Paul wrote. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. He describes something that is beyond his control, that he has had the best intentions. He has wanted to come, but there are things that are beyond his control, and he's calling. it's called providential control. There are things that happen in our life that we didn't invite. And it had nothing really to do with our behavior. It just was your breathing. And something unfolds, and it's beyond your control. Now, we all love it when it's something positive, right? We call it the grace and mercy of God. But then there's some stuff that happens to us in life, and you're just like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have any control over this. It, there, was, there was no way for me to forecast this. There was no way to me to prepare for this. It, it just happened. And so that's one of the ways that we start to recognize, okay, there are things that happen in life that I may, listen, to. we may not want to say this. Why, God? Because that's almost saying like he's lost control. Instead, when something happens like that beyond our control, we need to receive it as direction and say, hey, what now, God? Does everybody understand me on that? It's not why, God. It's what now? Because he allowed it to happen. Now, I understand that that could take a positive and a negative uh, 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 in what has happened. You say, even in the negative. Yeah, even in the negative. Paul had had all the greatest intentions, and he recognized there were things that kept happening beyond his control. And it, they were negative circumstances. And Paul recognized that this was the par of the hand of God. This plays out even after he wrote this. He's in, he, he has the intent of going to Rome. Well, God will get him to Rome, but God changed how he was going to get there because he ended up being put on trial, and the, and the trial was a farce. And they didn't recognize that Paul was a Roman citizen because he's a Jew. And so as this court session is going off the rails, Paul exercises a right as a Roman citizen. He goes, I appeal to Caesar. 
And as a Roman citizen, they had to stop the trial, and that means they ship him off to Rome. Well, he goes to Rome, but on his boat ride there, there's a shipwreck. And he barely survives as everybody on the boat barely survives. So you're on an island. So he survives a shipwreck and he's going to go start a fire and he reaches into the sticks and he gets bitten by a poisonous viper. How many know that's just a bad day? You know, you're falsely accused. It's been an unjust court system. You have to make an appeal. You're now put on a boat. It's shipwrecked because of a storm. You need a fire. You get the wood. You get bit by a snake. And they're all waiting for Paul to drop over dead, and he just keeps right on moving. Nothing happens, and then it's an opportunity for him to show us what Jesus has done in his life. But he gets to Rome, and he's on house arrest for two years. So much for sounding like you're innocent. You're on house arrest for two. Now, he was able to come and go, but he had to have armed guards always go with him. But he was under house arrest till his trial. Now, so here's the thing. He got to Rome, but that was not the ticket he thought was, he was going to get to get there. But it was all providential. All that was beyond Paul's control. Recognizing there are some things in your life, whether you want to admit it or not, God's letting it happen. And for some people, that can make you angry. Because if we're not careful, we say, I think I deserve better than this. No, we don't. For the wages of sin is what? All right, you ought to, we ought to just be grateful he's still giving us life. Yeah. And say, it's not, why God? What now do you want? Because you let this happen? I may not like it. I may not approve I may not even feel good about it. What now? Number two, read it out loud. Careful planning. How's that for a holy point? Sometimes in determining God's will and making choices and decisions, we want to relegate this all to the spiritual. And, for, and we forget that as a human being, we are spiritual beings. So that means it's not just God, it's me. It's, it, I always say this, it's 100% God and it's 100% me. He's all in and I'm all in. But some people want to back off and act like they're not, they're not responsible for anything. That if it's God's will, it's just going to happen. No, you get skin in the game too. Notice what he says. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions. How many know that's a definite way that God says move on? No work. And since I have been longing for many years to visit you. So notice this. After a while, you would say, I think Paul's just talking because it's been years and there's been no follow-up to this. I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there while I, ha while I have enjoyed your company for a while. So he's saying, hey, I'm coming, but you're not necessarily the priority. It's just it's going to be a convenient stop because my goal is to get to Spain. But I'll be in the area and I will stay a while. And maybe you can even help me on my journey to Spain. So he's careful to do his planning. Now, can I, I just want to just pause on it. God flipped his plans all upside down. He never got to Spain. And he never got to Rome the way he thought he was going to go to Rome. I just described that. In fact, he was going to stay in Rome a lot longer than he thought he was. And even after he got out and acquitted on his first trial, Paul got rearrested and he got sent back to Rome. And this time he was not leaving alive. Oh, he, he made multiple trips to the church in Rome. <laughs> 
just not under the circumstances that he had planned. But the point was that didn't get Paul off the hook from making a plan. Many times as Christians, we fail to understand what our role is. Notice the parables that Jesus said. He said, no one builds a tower without first weighing the cost. No king goes to war without first weighing the cost of the war, what the enemy has and how much he has. And if he's outnumbered, he, he, he pursues peace because he knows that he's outnumbered. So there is a planning on our part. And this translates into so many of our uh, people's lives today. I could share so many examples, but I'll give you one that I can guarantee is, apl is applicable to all of us. Have a plan when you go buy a car. Don't buy a car and just say, I believe Jesus will provide. When you go buy a house, have a plan. Don't go, I'm just gonna buy a house and trust God. No, no. You need to figure out what you can afford. You need to figure out how much you're willing to spend. You need to figure out your market. Some of you need Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. <laughs> Have a plan. God can modify your plan. God can tweak your plan. But you, to have no plan, okay, that's counterintuitive to what the scripture teaches. We have a responsibility to go, here's my plans. Now, God, I... You have the ability to upend it. Now, I'm one of those guys, when I, when I sell out to a plan, I am so focused that I don't see things on my right and left. I don't hear things because I'm committed to whatever I'm doing. So I give the Lord permission. Hey, anytime you need to take a two by four and just give me a tap on the head to get my attention, I'm good. I don't even receive that as correction. I receive it as a wake-up call because I'm all, anybody else identify with, I'm just trying to find out who the honest people are. You bunch of alphas. Yeah, you just, you know, you so, so the Lord, boom, has to go, hey, oh, you want to tell me something? Okay, all right, I'm here. But get a plan. So, you know, on uh, pastoral team, uh, our staff, and on Mondays, every, every other Monday, we do what we call lunch and learn. We order lunch out, and we have one of the team. And it could be even one of our admins or one of the pastoral team. Uh, we just say, 20 minutes, teach us something we don't know. You know, it's a lunch and learn just to kind of learn about other things outside of, of the faith sometimes. One of them was doing the Appalachian Trail and preparing to go, and so she taught us all about hiking. I'm still not gonna go hike on the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> but this past week, Pastor Malik shared on Financial Peace University, and uh, so if you need Financial Peace University, you need to talk to Master Pastor Malik Abney. He can help you because he gave us a 20-minute rundown on how this gives you direction and this has helped you prioritize and this is what it does for you. And it's, you know, and he's just, he, he's a financial genius. <laughs> Have a plan, man. Have a plan. If it's not God's will, trust me, he'll override it and you'll know he's redirecting it. But you gotta have some skin in the game. And everybody said amen. amen. Number three, read it out loud. Clear priorities. It says, now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles 
have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed their, this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I want you to see the priorities. He said, I hear you, you want me to come. But right now there's a priority and it's called, there's a famine in Jerusalem. And the famine takes priority over you. Because that was actually the opposite direction. So he said, I'm going to do it. And then he said, priority number two is actually Spain. And you're priority number three. And since I'm going to go to Spain, I can squeeze in priority number three because you're on my way. Why? Because that's who we are, folks. We can't do, we, everything can't be number one. It's an impossibility. We're not God. We can't be everywhere all the time. We are human beings who are confined to a time and a space and confined to resource. And it's, it's hard to make priorities. But you have to in order to be able to do everything that God intends for your life. So, I mean, I'll give you my life, okay? I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a grandfather. I'm an uncle. I'm a son-in-law. I'm a son. I'm a pastor. I'm a citizen. I mean, I could go on and on on all my roles, and I can tell you they're not all equal. Would you like to know what number one is? Okay, I won't then. I'll just move on. Nobody wants to know. No, listen to me. It's being a husband. You say, why is that? Because it's the only person I ever said, till death us do part. I mean, I love you, but I'm not saying that to you. I didn't even say it. Do part to my children. I said, till you're 18. <laughs> and now we're going to have a talk about go getting your own life. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I love people. I love my kids, but I'm just saying, there's only, I only said, till death us do part to her. Number one. So then we start working down the other list and the other. And so when tough decisions are made or have to be made, I go to my priority. I'm not making decisions that, if, that will destroy or threaten my marriage. I will say no to things because it's a threat to my home. Okay, is this going over well or not? You have to have priorities. You have to. I will also make decisions that I feel are best for my home. So there are things that I do Okay, because that's what's best for us. Because that's the number one priority. It has to be that way. So Paul had a priority. He said, listen, I know you're followers of Christ. I know you're wanting me to come. I know Rome's bad. I've been wandering Rome for 10 years. I know it's bad. And I can only imagine what it's like in the capital. But I'm sorry there's a famine in Jerusalem. And even then after that, the gospel needs to get to Spain. They've not heard. I will incorporate you on my journey. But while I'm there, I'm asking you to help me fulfill that priority. That's life, people. It's trading. It's negotiating. We can't do Every Some of us have such a pace in life, you need to be reminded. Would you stop trying to do everything because you can't? Okay, I know that just 
resonated. Number four, read it out loud. Spiritually, one of the things that we need to back off of, you know, the pros and the cons is maybe just say this. Where's the spiritual productivity in each decision? Where is the spiritual productivity? He said, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Paul is confident. He says, listen, I'm gonna, the reason I'm working it this way is I know that there is a blessing in doing it. So I am making this decision based on the fruit, based on the blessing that will be there. Jesus is the one who said that we should produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He also said that we should produce much fruit. He did not say produce fruit. He said much fruit. How I many know there's a difference? So we have to many times weigh where is the fruit? Where is the return on what I will invest and what it does for the kingdom? So being spiritually productive, sometimes, listen, that's why missionaries will sometimes go to nations that you would say, you're insane for going there. But they'll say, yeah, but have you ever considered what the spiritual productivity could be by me going to a nation where there are no followers of Jesus? Have you ever considered the fruit that could be born in a nation where there's nobody serving Jesus and we go there? Are you kidding it's we're going because of the spiritual productivity possibilities there. That's why we're going. That's why we're seeking. That's why we're going, hey, maybe, maybe we could be a little more safer by going someplace else. I had a missionary, I said this, uh, many of you know I've been overseas many, many, many times. And uh, by the way, in fact, tonight I fly out to Ghana and I'll be with about 400 pastors all week over in Ghana just teaching on leadership development. And then I'll fly back Friday morning and try to be here over the weekend. <laughs> and uh, one of the missionaries one time told me this. He said, well, I asked him, I said, I notice you get something up and running and then you turn it over to one of the nationals and you move on and you start all over again. I mean, that's gotta be a little frustrating to get something going, you know, that can sustain you and, you know, you got, you got some fruit to prove your work and then you just, like, leave it to a national, you let them run it and then you move on and you do it all over again. I said, why do you do that? And I'll never forget his answer. I didn't tell this in the first service. Please don't tell him this, okay? It just... He said, I said, why do you do that? He goes, because the greatest miracles I've ever seen always happen in virgin territory. I want to go where there's never been a presentation of the gospel. You see God do amazing things where there's no foothold whatsoever of the gospel. And there you are. You're kind of like, God, if you don't do something big, I just might die Literally, you've got to show these people your God. And he said, without fail, man, something big happens. And it's the foothold that we've been looking for in a community, in a nation. And he said, I just, I want to be, I want to be in that virgin territory where the gospel's never been preached because I know there's going to be amazing things that happen. That's why I want to be... 
See, that's weighing spiritual productivity. I'll go where there's nothing planted. I'll go where nothing's been plowed, nothing is organized, nothing has happened, but the possibility of productivity, oh yeah, send me. Number five, everybody read it out loud. Clear purpose. Now I'm gonna read this verse and you're gonna think, hmm, it doesn't seem to fit. Give me a chance and I'll explain it. It says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. Notice the reference to Jesus Christ and the Spirit. You say, well, how does that clear purpose? You could also translate that Greek word, the word by, as on behalf of. So I urge you, brothers and sisters, on behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ and, by, and, and on behalf of the love of the Spirit. Did you know that what we do is on behalf of him? We represent him. The clear purpose. Why do we make certain choices and decisions? Because it's a good reflection of who he is. I reflect him. So I need to do well. I need to do right. I need to do my best. Not because I'm trying to make myself famous. I'm trying to make him. Because then when people say, why do you do that? You go, because my work is my worship. I represent him. Who's him? Oh, Jesus. You see, even in Matthew, Jesus said, let your light shine before men and see your good deeds that they may glorify your Father in heaven. We're so, listen, ad, that's not adequacy. Adequacy doesn't impress anybody. Nobody's making a killing being adequate. Want to make a huge impact? Want to build something? Why don't you strive for excellence? By the way, your self-esteem will be a lot better too. It's a great feeling to know that what you do is good and it's a great feeling to know that what you do makes a difference in people's lives. It's a wonderful thing to know that what you do is appreciated by people. Nobody says thank you to somebody who did adequate. Not, not, not the American culture that I've experienced. But, man, you let... You let somebody do a stellar job. Inevitably, you'll have somebody come back and go, thank you. It's nice to know that somebody still takes pride in their work. It's nice to know that somebody still cares about the person who's on the other side of the counter. It's nice to know there's somebody else who is concerned about people like us who have to call people like you because we need help. We need something fixed. We need something done. Thank you. I'm telling you what, you get a couple of those and you'll keep going back. And by the way, I'm not telling you to turn into a workaholic. I'm just telling you that when you're on, you're on. Bring your A game to whatever you do. Be there. Make the impression. Well, I'm not paid enough. There's probably a reason Yeah. If you ever left that company or business, you want the meeting in the boardroom to be, we're going to miss them desperately. We're going to have a hard time 
finding another one to take their spot. That's a testimony. That's a testimony. What, we're going to have to find two people to do what that one person did. That'll cause you to stand up straight. Yes. That tells you that you made an impression that it, there is a difference between somebody who understands that their work is worship and somebody else who's just punching the clock to get the paycheck to go home. No, I'm okay going home. I'm okay when it's time to be off. Hey, even, G, even God took a day off. Okay? I take a day off. It doesn't bother me in the least. I don't have guilt. I, I enjoy my day off, okay? But when, listen to me, when you're on, be on. Be stellar. Figure out how to break out of the atmosphere of just being adequate. And that comes with purpose. Why do you do what you do? And I've run into those folks who say, I don't know why I do. I said, until you do, you'll never do a stellar job. Know why you do what you do and who it touches and who it impacts. By the way, excellence always opens doors. Okay, that was free stuff there. You didn't, you know. Last point, read it out loud. Focus prayer. Notice what he said. In re- so some of you do like, these are some practical things. Is he ever going to get around to like the prayer? Yep, there it is. He said, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea. Number one, pray for safety. Because people are affected by the choices and decisions that you make. So you want to say, God, I want to do the right thing. I want, I want my choice and decisions to be a blessing. I don't want what I do to risk people. I'm praying for wisdom and knowledge about how I'm doing and what I'm doing. And then he goes on to say that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. So the second thing is this. Pray for your impact that the people that you touch would be impressed with what you do. Hey, some of you have customers that are showing up where you work or you're going to be in think tanks tomorrow in your office. You're going to maybe be in an office cubicle or you're going to be traveling to some meeting. You need to start praying for that meeting that says, I want them to be appreciative. God, help me to be such a blessing that they are appreciative that I'm there. Help my work as I serve customers or I respond to people or I manage people. God, help me to do so well that they are favorable to me being in the room. We all know what it's like to have a person walk in the room and everybody rolls their eyes. You just never want to be that guy. You know what you want? You want to walk in and then go, awesome, I had no idea that you were going to be here today. I always look forward to your input. I always appreciate your work ethic. Oh, now I know this meeting's going to be good. Ah, but that's based on what you've done previously. So some of you need to reestablish your identity where you work and start working on this, that they're not rolling their eyes when you walk in the room like, oh, there goes that meeting. Or I already know what's going to be coming out of their mouth. Don't be that. 
Pray that God would help you to be favorably received. God, I want to solve problems. I'm not here to create them. I want to better people's lives. I don't want to pull them down. I want to be a positive voice, an influence in the room. I don't want to be the negative. I don't want to be tearing people down. I don't want to get sucked into the gossip. And then he goes, so that I may come to you with joy. Notice this. The greatest challenge we have in the stuff that happens in life is stuff has a way of blistering us. You lose your joy. Some of you have already lost it. Just the mere thought that you got to go to work tomorrow. You're thinking, oh, that just sucks the life right out of me. I come back to get my life on Sunday. No, how about this equips you for the life that you have the rest of the week? You know, when, when we get into things that aren't the right fit, we get blistered. I've done some hiking over the years, and while I've never had this happen to me, I've been around people who did, and something in their shoes or socks or whatever didn't go right. I mean, it was a long hike, and then they developed the blister. And then they have to start walking different, and then they have to start looking at the trail with a different set of eyes because oh, that's going to hurt if I do that and all this kind of stuff. And if you're not careful, you can become a recipient of some of their displeasure because a person who hurts, you know, just gets frustrated, even venting on people who have nothing to do with it. And it's just not fun to be around somebody who's blistered. And sometimes you have to say, God, keep my joy. Protect me from me. Protect me from me. Help me to keep my joy. Help me, because that's, let me tell you, joy is where your energy comes from. When you enjoy something, you want to do it again. But when there's no joy, you're like, oh, I got to do it again. So God, protect my joy so that I'm enjoy, so that I like what I do with my life. So here's, here's probably, I'm going to put a model together to kind of help you. If you might want to photo this real quick, because I can't leave it up very long. But this is based on Romans chapter 15, when Paul was facing these, this decision about where do I go, when do I go, and to whom am I going? I can't do it all. I don't have time. I don't have resource. I'm going to let somebody down by any choice that I make. And what you see is those principles I laid out, each principle reveals another dimension of what God wants, but not one principle reveals it all. As you work around those principles, you get a different perspective and it, pre, pre, uh, it gives you a holistic perspective. Oh, when I take that into consideration and then when I do this and when I do this and then when I do this, suddenly a picture emerges. That's what I'm supposed to do. But if you try to build it on one principle, you only see God's activity from one angle. If you haven't realized by now, God's activity, God's will for your life is not static. It's moving. And so you gotta move, which means this, you have to be a hungry learner. You have to be a constant learner. Why? Because God's activity is constantly moving. And every new context, every new dimension requires maybe additional information, different knowledge, different understanding. So it's not like, hey, I've got it made. No, God, get me on the track where I'm a hungry learner and I'm always learning. 
the rest of my life. Because life keeps moving. And what I know today will handle the day, but what I might need to know tomorrow, I may have to acquire some new information because it's a different horizon, it's a different context, it's a different momentum. So understand, it's not like check one, check two, check three, check four, it's, it's holistic. God's picture of what he wants you to do will emerge. Come on, all over this place, let's stand to our feet as we wrap up the service. And I want you to praise him that he's got a momentum for your life. Can you do that? All over this place, let's lift our hands and for like 30 seconds, can you praise him for being the God who has a momentum and a purpose and a design for your life? Come on, lift your voice now.